During World War II, Winston Churchill was forced to make a painful choice. The British Secret Service had broken the Nazi code and informed Churchill that the Germans were going to bomb Coventry. And so he had two alternatives. Number one, evacuate the citizens and save hundreds of lives at the expense of indicating to the Germans that the code was broken. Or number two, take no action which would kill hundreds, but keep the information flowing and possibly save many more lives. Uh, This was a difficult decision to make. And I've been talking to Brother Tom Thompson, and he had some difficult decisions to make when he was in the military as well. Uh, He had to make decisions on who lived and who didn't live. Very difficult decisions. Well, in this case, in Churchill's case, he chose and followed the second course, which was to take no action which would kill hundreds, but keep the information flowing, hopefully saving many more lives. Our lives are made of, uh, up of a series of choices. Some choices are easy, and, and some are not. Some choices are easy, like, where are we going to go eat after church tonight? That's a good, easy choice to make. Um, but there are some hard choices, like what we just read about here with Churchill. Now, we're going to be talking about choices tonight, but uh, we're also going to be doing that in light of this doctrine of individual soul liberty. And what is this? What does this mean? And in your outline handout tonight, there is the definition. And the definition of individual soul liberty is every individual, whether a believer or an unbeliever, has the liberty to choose what their conscience or soul decides its right in the religious realm. This also involves the personal and individual accountability of each person before God. In other words, Baptists do not force anyone to assent to or deny any doctrine. We do not coerce anyone to worship God against their will or to refrain from worshiping God as they believe they should, unless their worship involves a practice that violates basic uh, moral and ethical principles. Baptists do not believe in using imprisonment, confiscation of property, torture, or other coercive methods as punishment for rejecting Christianity. Uh, We've never held to that as a a group of people. Um, Baptists have never tortured anybody. They've never, uh, you know, held something ransom so that you'll believe what we believe. No, no. We believe that every person has the right to choose what they want to believe. Now, we may not agree with a person's decision on a religious matter, and that person's belief may be totally wrong according to the Scriptures, but we're not going to use any means of force to make them think differently. This does not imply that Baptists will not oppose error when they find it, though. It doesn't mean that we're going we're to call sin, sin, and we're not going to try to encourage right thinking and right belief, but we're not going to use imprisonment. We're not going to threaten with physical harm uh, like has happened to us. Um, This should go without saying, but some might get the wrong idea of what I'm talking about based on the definition I've given you for individual soul liberty. If someone came to me and said they wanted to join Cornerstone Baptist Church, but they didn't believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ or the inspiration of the Scriptures... I would have to tell them they need to get saved first, and then we would talk about joining the church. But that's not using force to change a person. You don't have to join a church. Um, So again, holding to scriptural principles and being firm on that 
doesn't negate this individual soul liberty. And uh, I'm not trying, you know, we're not going to use force, but we're also going to stand for truth and uh, try to find the balance in that. All right, let's go through this, uh, this outline tonight. Number one, first of all, let's look at the right to choose. The right to choose. Look, over and over in the scriptures, we see that God gives us a choice. Uh, here's one example, Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse number 19. This is a, this is a beautiful uh, verse here. It says, I, ha- I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And then he says, therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. So he gives us choices to make. Joshua 24, 15. It was Joshua, uh, as he ended his life, said, If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we've made our choice, we're going to serve the Lord. 1 Kings chapter 18, it was Elijah there on uh, Mount Carmel who said this, Elijah came unto the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. So over and over again, we're called to make a choice. And God has given us this free choice. Now, the ability to choose, letter A, is a gift from God. God has given us this choice. You see, when he created us, he didn't create us as robots who have to do exactly what God says. Because that doesn't, show love. That doesn't, um, you know, if, if it was like, you have to love me. Okay, God, I love you because that's how I was programmed and I am a robot and my robot skills are not very good anyway. Like, you need to go back to robot school. That was pretty terrible. Um, but the thing is, we're not robots. We're human beings. And God created us with the choice, with choices. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variables, neither shadow of turning, including the gift of choice. Uh, you think about all the whosoever wills in the Bible. Uh, I think of Romans uh, 10.13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means that anyone can make this choice. We all have this choice to make the decision to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. John 3.16, as it was quoted a couple times beautifully tonight by these two precious young ladies. Uh, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him. Look, God gives us a choice. No one has to believe. No one has to do that. But we also can make that choice. As you read through the book of Acts, you see uh, Paul and others who are going to cities and preaching the gospel. And, and the Bible says, and some believed and some believed not. Why? Because God has given a choice. Not everybody's going to believe. And because they don't believe doesn't mean we need to strong arm them into believing. Now, Christ also emphasized individual decisions Uh, to obey God and follow Him, Matthew chapter 7. And verse 24 says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, 
I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not. For it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not. And then he goes on with that. So here's some who hear the word of God, who choose to obey the word of God and apply it to their life and and trust it and believe it. And then there's those who say, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not going to believe it. So God gives us a choice, and it is a great gift that he has given us. So the ability to choose is a gift from God. But then next, no one can force me to choose anything. Now, if it were up to me, I would I, I wish I could choose for people to believe on Christ for salvation. Because I understand how important of a decision that is. And someone who's maybe on the fence, I just let me make the decision for you. Because I know how important it is, and I know the, the no-brainer decision that it should be. But I can't do that. I can't, I can't make those decisions for even my family members. I wish I could, with each of my children, say... I believe in Christ for you. Boom, it's done. You're saved. That's not the way it works, though. By the way, this is why we do not baptize. This is one of the reasons we do not baptize infants. Um, Where we're saying, okay, you're a Baptist because uh, you were baptized as an infant, and so you are officially a Baptist now. No, they they don't have any conscience at that point. They don't have the ability to understand what's going on, and so they haven't made their own choice. All of us need to make our own choice. Look, we as Baptists, as I mentioned at the beginning, have never stood for persecuting people for any type of belief. But unfortunately, we have been on the receiving side of people who have forced and uh, used coercion. Here's an example. Soon after Christianity was recognized by Rome, and the Catholic Church was being organized, a group called the Donatist, from the name of their most prominent leader, separated from the official church over several issues, one of which was the employment of force in matters of religion. A Donatist pastor named uh, Patillion wrote, Christ persecutes no one. And isn't that true? Christ persecuted no one. Was he persecuted? You bet. That's why he was on the cross. But he didn't go around persecuting others, even though he was 100% right 100% of the time. And and those who believed a little differently than him, he didn't go around persecuting them. He persecuted no one. He was for inviting men to the faith. Why do you not permit every man to follow his own free will? Christ, in dying for men, has given Christians the example to die, but not to kill. Donatists and their successors, the Waldensians and Anabaptists, had their properties confiscated, were persecuted, imprisoned, and in some cases were killed for their beliefs. Later in the 17th century, John Bunyan also felt the wrath of the King of England. He was a Baptist pastor in Bedford, England, who was imprisoned for leading a religious meeting without the approval of the state church. His crime was believing in the Baptist distinctive of freedom of conscience or individual soul liberty. So he believed what we're preaching about tonight, and uh, as a result of him believing that, he was imprisoned. And during his 12-year imprisonment, so that was his big crime, believing what we're talking about tonight. 
and he was imprisoned for 12 years for it. Well, during that 12-year imprisonment, he wrote several books, including the very famous Pilgrim's Progress. And so uh, these are, you know, we don't force anyone to choose anything, but, but we have been persecuted because of our belief in this, and uh, other groups have done this over the centuries. Okay, so that's the right to choose, but notice number two here, the responsibility to choose. You and I have the right to choose, but with that right comes a great responsibility to steward those choices, and that's letter A here, choice is a stewardship. Choice is a stewardship to use to honor and glorify God. You don't have to. I'm not going to go to your house and make you. But just like in Deuteronomy chapter number 30 and 19, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. You can choose what you want there. You can have life, you can have death. You can have blessing, you can have cursing. It's up to you. And, uh, but we have now a stewardship to make the right choice with that. Now let me just say this about choice. Uh, when you do not decide to do something, you're really deciding not to do something. If I were to say, if you were to ask me, hey, uh, do you want to do a push-up right now? I'm going to say, well, let me think about it. Can I ask you a question? Have I done the push-up? No, I have not done the push-up. Well, I'm thinking about it. Have I still done the push-up? No, I have not done the push-up. Do you think I can even do a push-up? We'll see. I'm going to prove to you that I can do at least one push-up. But here's the deal. A lot of us, when we're faced with the decision, kind of say, I'm going to just think about it for a little while. Well, I understand that concept, but meanwhile, you haven't made that decision. It's not been done yet. You have to actually do the thing in order for it to be done. You have to make the decision. And so to not decide is to decide not to. Well, now I'm going to decide to actually do a push-up. All right, here we go. I'm going to do a man push-up too. So there's one. And that's all I'm going to do tonight. I've decided that. Okay, so I actually decided to do one push-up, and I did it. But for the time that I was like, uh, not sure what I'm doing, the push-up wasn't done. Now, here's the deal when it comes to our relationship with God, especially for those who are not saved. Oh, well, I'm still thinking about it, and I'm still trying to figure it out. That's great, but you're not saved until you make the decision to place your faith in Christ. And so just because you're thinking about it, God's not going to give you extra credit for thinking about it. You have to make the decision to trust Christ. You have to do the push-up, so to speak. Two men who lived in a small village got into a terrible dispute that they could simply not resolve between the two of them. So they decided to take uh, this matter to the town sage, first man went to the sage's home and told his version of what happened. When he finished, the sage said, You know, you're absolutely right. Well, the next night, the second man called on the sage and told his side of the story. The sage responded, You know, you're absolutely right. 
Afterwards, the sage's wife scolded her husband. Those men told you two different stories, and you told them that they were absolutely right. That's impossible. They can't both be absolutely right. Sage turned to his wife and said, you know, you're absolutely right. (laughs) Here's a man who's not willing to make a decision. Um, I was... uh, came across this poem several years ago. It's called The Zode in the Road by, Dr., by the great theologian, the Dr. Seuss. He said, did I ever tell you about the young Zode who came to two signs at the fork in the road? One said to place one and the other place two. So the Zode had to make up his mind on what to do. Well, the Zode scratched his head and his chin and his pants and he said to himself, I'll be taking a chance if I go to place one. Now that place may be hot. And so how do I know if I'll like it or not? On the other hand, though, I'll be sort of a fool if I go to place two and find it too cool. In that case, I may catch a chill and turn blue. So maybe place one is the best, not place two. Then again, what if place one is too high? I may catch a terrible earache and die. So place two may be best. On the other hand, though, what might happen to me if place two is too low? I may get some very strange pain in my toe. So place one may be best. And he started to go. Then he stopped and he said, On the other hand, though, on the other hand, other hand, other hand, though, and for 36 hours and a half, that poor Zode made starts and made stops at the fork in the road, saying, don't take a chance. No, you may not be right. Then he got an idea that was wonderfully bright. Play safe, cried the Zode. I'll play safe. I'm no dunce. I'll simply start out for both places at once. And that's how the Zode, who would not take a chance, got no place at all with the split in his pants because he wasn't willing to make a decision. He wasn't willing to steward his ability to choose. So God's given us this great right to choose, but we got to be a good steward of those choices. Next, we'll also give an account to God for our choices, and this is important for us to understand. Romans 14 is a wonderful passage of Scripture that tells us, look, let every man be persuaded in his own mind, verse number 5. But verse number 10 tells us that, look, at the end of the verse, it says, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In verse 12, it says, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Now talk about a, a sobering thought when it comes to our choices. Talk about uh, something that we better get in our minds because one day we're going to have to answer to God. Now, you don't have to answer to me. You don't even have to answer to uh, each other, but you will have to answer to God for your choices and and I'll have to answer to God for my choices as well. And that should propel us, hopefully, to make choices that bring honor and glory to God that are choices that are in line with Scripture and with line, in line with the will of God and the Word of God. 
2 Corinthians 5.10 also uh, tells us that we're going to have to give an account. And it says, For we must all appear for the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to the eth done, whether it be good or bad. We're going to all give an account. There's not a person that's going to avoid this moment. You're going to have to answer for your choices. In the words of Eleanor Roosevelt ring true, and here's what she said. One's philosophy is not best expressed in words. It is expressed in the choices one makes. In the long run, we shape our lives and we shape ourselves. Process never ends until we die, and the choices we make are ultimately our responsibility. And uh, no matter the circumstances that you're in, all of us are responsible for our choices. You can't blame someone else for your choices. This is kind of what happened in the Garden of Eden, right? After the decision to sin, God comes and talks to Adam and he says, why did you do this? And he said, well, it was the woman whom thou gavest me. Blaming her, ultimately God. And then so he goes and talks to her and then, and then she shifts the blame over to the serpent. and says, well, it was him that... Uh, and so on and on it goes and Look, we're going to all have to give an account, and you can't blame your parents. You can't blame your upbringing. You can't blame you know, the peer pressure that you were under. You can't blame any of those things. You will have to give an account to God for your choices. And that should be a sobering thought for all of us. When it comes to individual soul liberty, I want to share number three here, the regulations of choice. There's some limitations or some caveats to this whole idea that we have the Freedom to choose whatever we want. We do have the freedom for that, but here we go. Here's a couple regulations of choice. Individual soul liberty, first of all, is not a justification for disobeying the Word of God. Now, you can disobey the Word of God, but it's not justification. This doctrine, this distinctive here, doesn't mean that, oh, cool, I get to kind of live my life my way. You can, but we're not trying to say that this is, this is what it's meant to do. A believer may freely choose whether or not to obey God's word. Individual soul liberty, soul liberty allows them to make that choice, but it does not justify disobedience. David made a choice to commit adultery and murder, and though forgiven by God when he asked God to forgive him, he suffered the consequences of his actions. An unbeliever has the liberty to remain in unbelief, but the liberty does not free them from the consequences of their choice. Separation from God for all of eternity in the lake of fire. You can choose what you want, but there are going to be consequences for our choices, results of our choices. All right, next. Individual soul liberty does not mean a believer can do whatever they want without regard for others. This is one of the most important points that Paul was making here in Romans 14. Your actions should not cause another believer to stumble. Because you and I don't make choices. We're not an island. Um, our choices affect not just us, but others. Every believer should be aware of the impact of their actions upon those around them, even if those actions are not specifically forbidden by Scripture. You should care about the decisions and the fallout of those decisions and how they'll affect your loved ones and those around you. So 
Individual celebrity does not mean a believer can do whatever they want without regard for others. You and I who are mature in Christ or maturing in Christ should be thinking, okay, I make this decision, how is this going to impact others? Not, oh, I'm under bondage because I have to worry about what other people think. No, I'm not saying to take it to that degree. I'm just saying we are responsible to not be stumbling blocks to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we got to keep that in our minds. And is this going to cause my brother to stumble? Okay, well, then I'm going to not do it. Even though it's within my right as a person to choose this. You can, but as a mature believer, I'm going to regard what my brother may think about this. And again, not become in bondage to it, not become like this, uh, you know, this oppressive thing. But, hey, I want to be a blessing to my brother and sister in Christ. And so, is this decision going to cause my brother to stumble? Well, then I'm not going to do it. And that's what Romans 14 is teaching. It's not like, hey, I have the liberty to do whatever I want. It's, I have the liberty to do what I want, but I should be thinking about how this is going to impact others. All right? Then the third thought here under regulations of choice, individual soul liberty does not make each Christian a law unto themselves. God told believers to exhort and encourage one another. That's the benefit of being part of a church. We were talking about this in Sunday school about, you know, when you're sick, you know, watching it online or Facebook Live, you know, and that's good. And for those doing that, hello. (laughs) Uh, But the point is, being here is special because we're able to see each other and to have the fellowship and to uh, encourage one another in the Lord. You don't get that when you're sitting in, you know, at home and, and, and watching it on your phone. You just don't get that. It's not the same. It's not the same situation. And look, he has placed us in local churches where we are to be interdependent as the parts of the human body. Um, my thumb is not going to do real well if it's by itself sitting at home while I'm here. It may be okay for you know an hour or so, but you know, or maybe less than that. I have no idea, but. Eventually, it's going to be a need, need to be reattached to my body if it's going to function well. Okay? Maybe kind of a gruesome ex, uh, ex, uh, illustration here, but you get the idea. Okay? Uh, you need to be part of the body, and, and too long outside of the body, you're not able to... You need the body, and the body needs you. Okay? So, individual soul liberty does not make a Christian a law unto themselves. We're not exempt from the godly ministry of fellow Christians who desire to warn us when we are violating Scripture and who desire to encourage us to obey it. Uh, you can't just quote, hey, didn't you come to Sunday night, you know, on uh, February 23rd, 2020? Individual soul liberty, brother, you don't have the right to tell me what to do. Actually, they can point to Hebrews chapter number 10 and say, actually, yes, I do. Uh, I am to provoke you into love and to good works. I am to exhort you to do what's right. And we need this, this part of being a part of a church. It's part of being part of the body of Christ to encourage each other. Okay? So individual soul liberty does not make each individual uh, Christian a law unto themselves. Last thing I want to look at tonight is the results of our choices. The results of our choices. And, and we all have to deal with this. Like it or not, this is the truth. First of all, my choices will affect me. There will be fallout from each choice choice that I make, good or bad. 
Um, and I'm going to kind of look at some of the more stark bad examples here as we go through this, but, but there are some good examples as well. I think of uh, the prodigal son and how he said, you know, Dad, I'm kind of tired of living here. I want my inheritance, and I want it now, and I want to go live. I want to go live my best life now, you know. Uh, and so he goes and gets the inheritance and goes and, and uh, spends it and lives it up. And the Bible says with riotous living, uh, the older brother says that he wasted it with harlots. He did all of that. He comes home after all that, and uh, the dad you know, runs out, meets him, hugs him, puts the, you know, throws a party for him, and it's just a, a special thing. They're having a, just a wonderful welcome home party for this son. You say, well, that didn't really affect him that much. Yeah, actually it did. Uh, you know that, that old inheritance thing that he wanted so badly? It's gone. There's no inheritance. It's history. He has to live with the fact that there is no inheritance coming after he's ready for it. When normal, the normal time for his inheritance to come, sorry, Charlie, it's no longer there. You already wasted it. It wasn't like he invested, he wasted it. So he had to deal with the effect and the consequence of all that. Now also his brother is all upset at him and, and uh, there's not real harmony in the home at this point. And when he comes home, there's some consequences to uh, are the choices that you and I make. Samson, uh, the choices that he made, you know, he saw this girl and he's like, oh, she's the one for me. And mom and dad said, no, she's not. He said, what do you guys know? You guys are just a bunch of fuddy-duddies. I'm going to go do what I'm going to do. And so he did. And uh, you guys know the story. I mean, he, he had a pretty... Uh, there was a guy with tremendous potential to do great things for God, tremendous strength physically that God had given him, and uh, he basically threw it away because he did not want to follow the will of God in his life. And uh, it affected him. His, his eyes were taken out and gouged out, and uh, it, was a, it was a pretty ugly scenario for Samson. So I just want to remind us this, this evening that, look, there are still consequences for sin, and there are still blessings for obedience in this day and age. Um, and we need to remember that. The wages of sin is still death. The way of the transgressor still is hard. And uh, you're not, an exempt, you're not uh, exempt from that. You're not an exception to that. All of us need to remember that our choices will affect me, but then secondly, my choices will affect others. Again, as I said, we don't make decisions that just affect us. Uh, many times our choices affect others. I was thinking about Jonah in this scenario. There he is on this boat on the way to Tarshish, avoiding the call of God on his life to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel there. Hated those people, didn't want them to get saved, didn't want God to show mercy upon them. So he's on this boat and taking a nap, and then all of a sudden this, this huge storm comes, all to get Jonah's attention. And everybody is like panicking and thinking that their lives are going to be lost. And so his sin of disobedience was affecting everybody else on that boat. It wasn't just affecting Jonah, was it? Everybody else was, in many ways, dealing with some of the consequences of Jonah's choices. And uh, we need to remember that when we 
make choices, it's not going to just affect just me. Because if that's the case, then, well, I can choose to live with those consequences. Okay. Well, the problem is, though, it doesn't just affect me. It affects my loved ones, especially if you have a family. Boy, does your choices affect your family. Uh, all the drama that takes place is in family uh, is because of choices one of the family members makes, and then the whole family deals with it. Uh, one family member decides to go and do wrong, well, then it creates a lot of drama in the whole family. It's not that just, oh, that one person did that. It's the whole family's dealing with the consequence or dealing with the results of that. Likewise, if someone does right, the whole family's affecting affected by that in a good way. Uh, so, and I also think about Lot and how he 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 made the the wrong choice to take his family to Sodom, and that choice because he wanted financial prosperity. I mean, uh, Sodom looked like a good place financially to take his family, and and maybe it was financially. But he ended up having a mess on his hands. That one decision made a mess and uh, created a lot of problems for his entire family. He ended up losing his, li- his wife because of it, because of that decision to take his family to, uh, to Sodom. So my choices will affect me. My choices will affect others. And then here's kind of one that will, every time I think about it, it kind of blows my mind. It's hard to really put my mind around this one, but my choices will affect future generations. This is heavy. This is heavy stuff. Look, it's not just, ah, it's my life, I get to choose what I want. Well, the problem is they're generational in their impact. Now, not, I don't know that every decision is that way. I mean, if I choose to go to you know, Brahms or over Wendy's tonight. That I don't know how generational that particular... But it could be. <laughs> we get a chance to talk to somebody at Brahms about the Lord. They get saved. That could be a generational impact, impactful decision. But you think about Adam and Eve in the garden as they took that fruit that they were not supposed to take of. If there was ever a decision that was generational in its impact, that was the one because that impacted all the generations since, all the way to you and I. Elimelech, uh, in, he was uh, Naomi's husband in Ruth chapter 1. If you want to just turn over there real quickly, it's in the Old Testament, of course, Ruth. Let's see if I can find it here real quick. You got Judges and then you got Ruth. Ruth chapter 1. Page number 297 in my Bible. But you have to have a Cambridge Bible. I don't know what page it is for you, but anyway. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. We're not sure exactly which judge was ruling during this season, but when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now let me just stop there and say this. Uh, Moab was not really the place that a person of Bethlehem, Judah, should be going to. Uh, This was very much like Abraham going down to Egypt. And remember, that could very well be why Lot got a picture of 
Egypt there, and, and the Bible says that, that uh, Sodom was well-watered like Egypt was. And that could very well have been the, the thing, that, that appetite that Lot began to develop while he was in Egypt. But, but Moab was very similar to Egypt in that it was the wrong place for, for a Jewish person to be going uh, in that day. Well, let's pick it up here in verse 2. And the name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife Naomi, the name of his two sons, Mahon and Chilon, uh, Ephrathitis of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. So they were supposed to just sojourn during this famine, but then they decided, you know what, let's just kind of continue here. In verse number 3, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And then in verse number 5, and Mahon, Mahlon and Chilon died, also both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. So the decision that he made to take his family to Moab affected future generations. And, and of course, God's sovereignty is all over this story, of course, because we, we then come into Boaz coming in to take uh, Ruth and uh, the kinsman redeemer and the line of Christ is all through this. It's a pretty amazing story. But, but here's the thing. Uh, Elimelech, in my opinion, should never have gone to Moab. And that decision affected future generations. And we need to remember that as we make decisions, they are potentially generational in their impact. The decision that I made when I went to Bible college, I didn't really think about this, but it is generational in that decision. Because my wife and I met during Bible college, and we fell in love, and then we got married, and then we had children, and we're raising them in, in, a, in an independent Baptist church. That's... That's generational in the decision that I made there. It wasn't just, eh, I don't know what to do with my life. I guess I'll go to Bible college. No, it was a generational decision. In 1947, a widow lady donated some land just west of our current property to start a Bible-believing church here in Oklahoma. Herbert Lane was the very first pastor of what was known in those days as Moore Bible Church. They made a choice that has impacted many generations, and you and I are benefiting from the decisions they made all those years ago, 70-plus years ago. They didn't realize it was going to be a generational decision, but it was. And look, my choices will affect future generations. That's a big deal. And so, look, it is a heavy thing to understand that God has given us the right to choose, but He's given us a responsibility to make the right choices. Uh, the blessing is, as Baptists, we're not going to try to force you to do it. We're not going to steal your property and say, you make this decision or I'm going to keep this property. You make this decision or we're going to put you into jail. You'll never hear that from a Baptist, at least not a good Baptist. I'm not saying that that's never happened because um, I don't know every Baptist that has ever lived. Uh, but I know Baptists as a whole have never held to that uh, type of belief that we're going to force you to believe something. No, we're not. But we're also still going to stand for truth and uh, try to strike the balance in all of that. So that's individual soul liberty in a nutshell. But I think there's more to it as, as well than just a, a church, church distinctive. It's also a responsibility to all of us to make the right choices as we go through our lives.
And uh, I would encourage you young people, especially as you're... One of the blessings that I thought working... One of the things I enjoyed working with teenagers... One of the reasons I loved working with teenagers, if I could get this out right, uh, so much for 15 years was because they're in the season of life where they're making the most important decisions that affect the rest of their lives. You know, where am I going to go to college? That's a huge decision because that decision will likely, not always, likely determine who they're going to marry. Likely determine the direction of their life as far as career. Likely determine, you know, what, where they're going to live after uh, they graduate. So that decision is a ginormous decision. And I enjoyed being there and helping them with those decisions and encouraging them along those lines. And also, as teenagers are making the biggest and most important decisions of their life, and they're least prepared to do that, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we were all like 50 years old and had all the life experience and then making some of these big choices <laughs> with all that wisdom? But that's not the way it works, is it? Um, so I enjoyed working with teenagers and encouraging them along those lines. And so, young people, you guys are making the biggest decisions of your lives uh, within the next 10 years of your life. You'll probably make, within the next 10 years, uh, Seth is almost 16, probably in the next 10 years he's going to make the decision on what college he's going to go to, what he's going to do for a career, who he's going to marry, where he's going to live, if he's going to marry, <laughs> if, if, if the girl he asks her will actually say yes. Those are some big decisions that will impact a lot of the future of his life. And same with all of you teenagers. Um, big, big choices coming your way. Uh, it's a heavy responsibility. And look, your choices will affect you, your choices will affect others, and your choices will affect future generations as you make these in the next 10 years. So be thinking about that. Not to put too much pressure on you, but not to make you just do whatever you want either. Um, having a little pressure is a good thing. Help helping you have a godly understanding of what's, what's happening in your life is, is helpful. All right, well, let's have prayer, and we'll be dismissed tonight. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about this, this precious uh, distinctive that we hold to as Baptists, individual soul liberty. Uh, Lord, I thank you that we do have the right to choose, and you have given us that as a gift. But Lord, not a gift to squander and to use for our own selfish gain, but Lord, as a gift to... Uh, honor you and to uh, use to be um, to cause us to live a life that would please you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to do that tonight. I pray that you'd help us to understand the weight of the decisions that we make in our lives. Um, help us help these young people, Lord, as I've just talked to them the last couple minutes. Help them to make choices that would uh, be a blessing to them, to be a blessing to their families and to others around them. And Lord that it would impact future generations for good. Lord, help, them to help us all to remember that we're going to have to all give an account for the decisions that we make. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.